0: hey good morning good afternoon or good evening to you depending on when you've tuned into this edition of hypnosis Suite live uh, if you're on youtube zoom or another video channel you'll be able to see both of our faces right now if you're on one of the audio podcasts well you've you're not going to have that pleasure unless you go and seek out the video channel as well which is where you get the benefit of seeing our body language and facial expression Or any visual demonstrations that my guest may give you. Now, the lady I'm going to introduce you to today was according to her website, and we're going to believe it as being true, was born uh, on the 3rd of March 1979. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure about that law looking looking at her on screen. I'm sure she looks younger than that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She's in a nutshell, I'm going to get her to explain more about herself as we go along. But, yes, she does do hypnotherapy. Yes, she has trained in NLP and hypnotherapy. Um she's the author of two books, one called Stop Anxiety and Grow Confidence, another called Creating Trance and Hypnosis Scripts, both available uh, easily on Amazon and other major booksellers, I must say. Um she also runs conventional NLP hypnosis trainings through a company um not that one, through People Building Limited. Then obviously she offers the hypnotherapy services from herself and colleagues through hypnotherapy and nlp.co.uk. Don't worry, you don't need to remember these. The links will all be below the video or audio podcast speaker symbol thingy on your podcast channels. Uh, she's got a YouTube channel, which we'll come to later, because uh, I think I may have found a, a, a one that's not hypno-related, it, otherwise she's got a doppelganger, one of the two, but we'll, we'll cover that, and what more sig- not significant maybe not in her opinion, but certainly in the opinion of many of her peers and colleagues, Uh, more significantly in 2005 with one of her colleagues, Kay Jill, she set up a company called NLP for Kids, uh, using the tools and techniques drawn from NLP and and, and other modalities, not surprisingly, to help children uh, in many ways. And we're going to delve into that during the interview. So please welcome to the show, Gemma Bailey. Hi, Gemma.
1: Hello, thank you for the
0: introduction. Well, I've not covered everything, but you know, it's it's an overview so that you can, uh, one thing that jumped out at me before we get into depth about your journey is you were born in Hemel-Empstead. Hempstead. is it about hemel Hempstead and NLP? Because that's also, I don't know if it still is, but it was the head office of um, ANLP, wasn't yeah, it? Know.
1: I know. It's like the center of the NLP universe here. Um, And I'll tell you a funny story about it is um, when I first was launching my businesses, I like a lot of people do was still kind of like one foot in doing a proper job at the same time. And my proper job was working as a nanny. And on my first day of this new job as a nanny, that I started working with I took the children to school and uh, I was hanging around outside like the year two class with the one that I was dropping off and one of the other mums was there and she was very friendly and she said hello and she said so you know is this your main job because obviously the kids are at school all day so do you do anything else throughout the day at all And I said, well, I do. But, you know, you've probably never heard of it before. Um, I use this uh, kind of methodology. Um, It's a bit like an alternative kind of psychotherapy, a bit like CBT. And it's called NLP and it stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And she's, hi, I'm Karen Moxham. I'm the director of the ANLP. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Yep, <laughs> yeah, Excellent. so the NLP is like based in Hemel Hempstead. I have no idea why, but it's the center of the NLP universe. <laughs> i
0: know it's weird. Um, so look, there was a time I, I know a bit of your background because I looked at your website and we, we did meet in person. Uh, crikey, where does time go? It's years ago now. Um, at the hypnosis uh conference that. Barry Austin set up in London what did you what was your journey to get to where you are now because there was a time when Gemma wasn't this now as uh I hate that term but an LP oh yes we help people Nelpers, but I mean it gets bandied around what led you to where you are now um
1: so I I feel like I was already in a helping profession Uh, I started out so my very first career was working with children Um, I am a nursery nurse by trade Um, and I think I went into that profession with grand ideas about being able to help children and young people kind of grow up to become the best that they could be Um, the joke that I always make when I'm doing events and stuff thought that I would be changing the world and I ended up changing a lot of nappies so I think I got quite disillusioned quite quickly Um, and I also realised as well whilst it's absolutely fundamentally correct that children need to have a really solid routine to help keep them feeling safe and secure and certain in their own lives actually for me that's really boring and so I ended up chopping and changing jobs a lot And it took a while, a couple of years really, to realise that it was never the jobs that were the problem, it was me. And as soon as I'd got into somewhere and I'd mastered the routine and, you know, I was like making changes and got the place to be the best that it could be, then I was bored. And I just didn't feel like I could keep growing in jobs like that. So I was proactively seeking an alternative and I... I kind of hit a bit of a wall because it's a very niche qualification, and although you end up, you know, I ended up in nursery management, so I was managing staff and managing the budget and finances of the nursery and and so on. Um, so all of that was happening, but it's still a quali- qualification for working with children, um, and. I was working for a company, a day nursery company that were not very good employers. And I'd a month off with appendicitis. And so I'd really been given a chunk of time to sort of reflect on what I was gonna do next. And like, where would I go from here? Because I'd made my way into management, I think by the age of about 24. So I'd hit the ceiling a bit too soon. Um, and yeah, just didn't know, you know, could I actually do this for the next sort of 40 years of my working life? And it just didn't really sit well with me. So I started looking into hypnotherapy and NLP simultaneously, as a result of seeing the new stuff that Paul McKenna was doing after he'd kind of ended his wacky stage show career. And it interested me. So I, I became interested in it probably more for self development purposes, uh, rather than having the agenda of actually turning it into a career for myself. But I guess, for you know, a lot of people, you end up going down the rabbit hole and then you never come back out the other side. <laughs> so that's what happened.
0: So I'm going to ask the obvious question. I, I, if there's any questions you don't want to answer you don't have to um i'm just going to ask the things i suspect people watching or listening would want to ask so right now that leads to the logical question do you think you found the answers you were searching for at that time personally did i find the
1: answers uh yes and no so Still say that I'm a terrible hypnotic subject I'm not very suggestible <laughs> so that's always been really frustrating um so it, that didn't kind of go the way that I might have hoped that it would go for me on a personal level um I feel like when I look back now to where I first began with all of this I kind of feel like And maybe this happens for everybody. Maybe everybody sort of looks back on who they were, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, um, and feels like the evolution is so great. I feel like I'm having a different life completely Mm -hmm. to the one I had back then. It's like I've got somebody else's memories And, you know, I logically obviously know that they're mine and there are bits about the who I was then that I still resonate with now. But like, I think if I met old me, I would like her, but I would also be maybe a bit frustrated at how narrow her worldview and view of herself was compared to how I think now. And maybe that is something that like naturally occurs for people over time and, you know, through, you know, through their aging process. But having looked at the people that, um, you know, maybe I went to school with, I wouldn't say that that's true of all of them. You know, there's a lot of people who who seem in a lot of ways to have, you know, pretty much stayed the same. Um, whereas I've made a very conscious effort to keep of growing and learning and expanding and um and i don't think i've got all of the answers but i think i've also made peace with the fact that i probably never will and actually that's quite exciting in itself
0: that's an interesting point i like that that perhaps you never will and that and i like that because there's too many people in Or just say the self-help industry, in my opinion, whether it's NLP, hypnotherapy, whatever bloody title it's got, because they're they're roughly all the same. Who portray it as the absolute answer to everything? And I always say, well, it it can do some amazing things, but no, there's it's not it's not a pan. I can't even say the bloody word panacea, is it? it's not a cure-all. It, it can do a hell of a lot, but so I think it's really cool that you, you know, you you acknowledged that. But by the same token, at the other end of the scale, you do get amazing results and life-changing benefits, especially not just with adults, but especially through NLP for kids with uh, children. That's grown massively over the years. I mean, carry on because you're only part way through your path that got you to where where everything
1: is now yeah um, all right so I uh, did my qualifications in NLP and hypnotherapy which as I'm sure you know um are it almost using the word qualifications feels somewhat disrespectful at times because they you know can vary quite considerably in what you can learn so on the other side of the very first training that I did I felt okay about Like delivering hypnotherapy, but not with the NLP. Mm -hmm. So I actually retrained and I did the whole lot again um, with a different training provider to, I guess, just wrap my head around it a bit better because I didn't feel confident with what I'd learned. And uh, then I went on to do my trainers' training because I thought, actually, I feel confident now that I could probably teach this stuff in the future. And They were very immersive and intense experiences, Uh, but again, it still wasn't, and maybe it never is like everything that you could possibly know, but it it was a good foundation to get. So I met Kay Gill on my trainers' training, actually. So she was a fellow -er, NLPR, and she was the one that said, you know, we're all here doing the same qualification, we're all going to be in competition with each other, we need to do something different. And she said, I think we should work with children. And I went, nah, (laughs) now I'm done with them. Like that part of my life is over. Um, But she twisted my arm and then uh quite promptly left actually afterwards so Kay ended up getting married and moving up to Birmingham to set up an insurance business which then took up really
0: oh dear slightly froze there maybe
1: the very first oh sorry I will rewind a little bit if it happens again, let me know and I'll, I'll switch. You the got Wi-Fi to over.
0: saying uh, insurance company in Birmingham.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, she moved up to Birmingham to start up an insurance company up there. And we'd probably got to this stage then of maybe putting together the first programme that we wanted to deliver to children, but not much more beyond that. And um, as a result of promoting that first program, I noticed that a lot of fellow peers that were coming to me saying, what are you doing? Like, what's in it? How's it working? Tell me more about it. And I figured that if they wanted to know, that could be a program in itself. Mm -hmm. And so for me these days, I guess as much as I spend an awful lot of time still delivering sessions for both adults and young people, I actually also now spend a great deal of time training um, and teaching people the skills that we use in NLP for Kids. Um, And essentially, I went back through everything that I'd learned through my practitioner, my master practitioner, places outside of that, um, and said what stuff here would be relevant for young people, what stuff here can I translate into a child friendly language, because you'll know there's a lot of clunky language within NLP. Um, and so it it needed some decoding in cases. Um, and then over the years, I've then sort of developed my own NLP type techniques that are kind of exclusive to NLP for kids, where, you know, just over time, I've sort of, on the on the cuff done a process and going well let's kind of blend this with this and throw some of this in there and see what sort of a result we get and then it's like actually that worked really well we probably need to formalize this in some way Um, so over the years i've trained uh like hundreds of people in both nlp and nlp for kids literally the world over tail end of last year we were obviously working all online because of lockdown no, we had people from australia on the training we've trained people from spain from bahrain from france like all over um and then a collection of those people will go on to uh join the nlp for kids team which means that they join the yeah
0: Frayless, picture freeze again and i side of the business damn we lost. Suddenly no. he said, "and joined the team, and then it picked up again at franchise side of the business. We had a slight screen freeze and voice loss.
1: Right, I'm just going to switch my Wi-Fi network. If it cuts me off, I'll call you straight back.
0: Okay, I can always lob the um, recording together. For the people who are listening or watching, that might be what happens. Hmm? It might be. <laughs> One second. No worries.
1: Are we back?
0: We are actually back. That
1: was pretty seamless.
0: <laughs> <Quite> yeah. <impressive. laughs> On, actually, we were just playing with you. She really didn't do anything. Nothing
1: happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nothing. <gone.
0: laughs> so yeah, the um, a, a number of them end up getting involved with NLP for kids. Tell us, a, tell us a little bit more about NLP for kids, because that isn't a training course as such, is it? It's actually. A business structure as well a franchise as such
1: so it's, it's actually both so there are some people that come on board just to do training with us and then they don't do any of the business stuff with us whatsoever um that is probably most applicable when we have people like teaching assistants for example who um Uh, want to utilize the skills within a classroom setting, but actually don't want to run a business because they've already got a job. So in some cases, we have schools who pay for certain members of staff to come and do the training with us so that then they haven't got the cost of paying for a practitioner from us directly. Um, And they've literally got someone in-house five days a week delivering the stuff that we deliver Um, So we offer the training as the kind of first port of call. And then for some people on the other side of that training, they do want to go on and run a business, be a practitioner, you know, become self-employed and all of that jazz. um, In which case then we then kind of start them on a slightly different journey where it's more about the ongoing business support um cpd that's included within that um referrals of clients to them from you know the various different streams of advertising that we do um and just you know generally helping them to cut a lot of corners with regards to things like website setup and making business cards and all of those sort of growing pains that you have when you're first getting started uh running a business cool
0: yeah which is what a hell of a lot of uh packages courses what training whatever you bloody want to call them don't re- it well as far as i'm concerned don't cover in any real depth and even the ones that do cover it to some depth frankly what they teach is bloody outdated and next to useless in the real world of getting business
1: yeah yeah i've and i've had those experiences as well you know the very first course that i did there was maybe a day. So it was a three month course. Um, It was three weeks over the course of three months. There was maybe a day spent on like the business and marketing side of things. But I guess in fairness, the other thing to consider is that it changes so fast now, you know, with us being in the technology age. So very quickly after completing that course, like the internet took off and where they'd been telling us, make sure you do a Yellow Pages advert. It was like, you know, within a year, the Yellow Pages didn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's one of the benefits that there is from being part of the NLP for Kids team, or I, I'd like to think there is, is that, you know, being part of a bigger organisation means that you kind of get to figure things out firsthand in terms of, you know, what's the latest trend? What should I be doing to sort of grow and develop my business? Um, I just started playing with Clubhouse. Is it called Clubhouse last week?
0: yeah Chloe, the new social media app for people this has been um recorded on the 18th of january 2021 to put it in context if people get this down the line and everybody's got it but at the minute it's only available on iphones isn't it yes yeah yeah uh, how, how are you finding that Because you set up as i understand it you kind of set up a room yeah. uh, but it's voice only yes. and that room you might call nlp for kids and a eight o'clock uk time whatever time today you're going to do a talk on i don't know nlp for kids to help them be more to be more likely to do their own work or something you give it a title people show up and they, as i understand it because i'm not on iphone you see uh they can metaphorically put their hand up and you can then if you want unmute them so that they can ask questions or you can even get them to take the stage and stuff
1: yes yeah so I've not delved into it too deeply I've not set myself up in a room (laughs) I've set up my own room yet but I've been into other people's rooms to me it seems a lot like podcasting but kind of live you know Mm -hmm. so it's like you've got a live audience there with you whilst you're broadcasting your content I think it could be good you know, I think it might be one to keep an eye on for the future. I'm uh, seeing
0: a lot of people in um, certain—I'm going to use the term "celebs" in our industry very loosely, because that's a uh, very, <laughs> it's very ridiculously minefield area there. But who are who are reporting that they've already made a shitload of money out of giving free talks on Clubhouse?
1: Yeah might be the way forward but whether or not it sticks remains to be seen you know Mm. there was a trend with periscope I don't know if you remember that one
0: yeah
1: and I don't think anybody's really does anyone still have periscope but I mean that was good for a while so you know it's one of the things that when you are running your own business, you can easily get distracted by kind of all of this different stuff that pops up. And then actually, you end up not having the time that you're supposed to have for either seeing your clients or or really marketing your business. So I think that's probably one of the benefits that people see with something like NLP for kids is it saves them reinventing the wheel. And it means that you know there's just that access to stuff that they might not be able to either have the time or, or finances to explore for themselves independently
0: mm-hmm. now i'm i'm playing devil's advocate but i'm guessing because it's nlp for kids and the nature and the mission of the company and stuff that one of the pre let alone learning anything about hypnosis nlp or whatever modalities is You've kind of got to, I guess, and there is a reason why I'm asking this. Yeah. You would think you've got to like kids, but there again, you would think the same about children's entertainers and teachers and i know a lot of teachers and children's entertainers and they absolutely hate kids and yet the brilliant teachers are children's entertainers Um, what's your thoughts on that
1: i mean it helps definitely yeah there's for us there's a few hoops to jump through um for people to come on training with us we always dbs check them anyway um Beyond that, if they actually want to go on to join the franchise team, they then have to provide two references. Uh, They have to complete a formal application process, including an interview. They do safeguarding training. They do paediatric first aid. They have to have data protection um, and we have to be able to get them insured as well. So there's quite a lot to it. um, Alongside, obviously, ideally, you know, a love a love of working with children. Um, I remember because we do get a lot of people that are interested just in having a franchise business. And um, not necessarily a children's franchise business but you know they just see franchising as an easy way to start their own business which of course it is in a lot of cases and I remember this one chap saying to me you know I'm really on the fence I'm I'm deciding between you guys and a wheelie bin cleaning franchise <laughs> and, and I said to him I think you should go with the wheelie bin cleaning <laughs> Because, you know, if what we do isn't enough to sell it to you, then you're probably not quite the right fit for us.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Bloody hell. I mean, just, there's no comparison, is there?
1: No, there's <laughs> <is> really not.
0: What <laughs> want to clean out stinky wheelie bins <laughs> or when we kids. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> bizarre. So, what do if people work, do you know do do the training or come co- come into the franchise? What kind of stuff are they likely to find themselves doing? I know there's probably a broad spectrum. You've already mentioned teaching people who uh, you know are in schools and nurse. What I mean is, for example, therapists uh, watching or listening to this probably have encountered in the past. Uh, I believe it was Sigmund Freud. Uh, Sigmund Freud, who talked a lot about the formative years, zero to seven. Apparently, when we get
1: influenced,
0: well, positively and negatively, and that creates the programs that run that kind of affect us in the future that have to be dealt with, changed, adapted, adapted, or whatever. Now, personally, I think it's more like from birth to around. Teenagers and then kind of freezes. Early twenties even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what sort of things do they encounter? So
1: typically we would say we work with three different groups in kind of three different locations. So the groups that we work with are children, parents and teachers. Uh, the different areas that we work in tend to be in the community. So working with groups in the community, um, in schools, and in private practice. And then in terms of the sorts of challenges that we are helping people with, it's pretty broad. In the early days, um, I was quite shy, I guess, about connecting us with mental health, um, because it just felt like that 's a little bit too medical in a way, and so I was very much focusing on you know we 're confidence building um, we 're helping with self esteem but the truth was that actually that 's not what the schools at least did not want that back then, like back then, schools were really about show us the difference you can make in academic performance, and then, as mental health started to become more widespread and problematic in children and young people then the conversation started to shift towards tell us what you can do to support them with um anxiety stress depression um and stuff that was really sort of moving us more towards that mental health barometer if you like and i remember um i was talking to the uh like the former chairman of the NSPCC and he said um you know, not don't be scared of that terminology, because, you know, it's just about having a healthy mind. It's not, it's not really anything more than that. And if, if you help people with uh, being more confident, you help them to avoid anxiety. If you give people self esteem, then you help them to avoid things like self worth issues and body dysmorphia and these sorts of things. Um, so he was like, you have to start talking about mental health. And it's kind of snowballed, I guess, since then. You know, I think we were probably all in agreement that our young people were really on the verge of a mental health crisis. And I feel like with what's happened with Covid, we're going to end up with like Covid PTSD in a couple of years time. I mean, things have like really spiked for us now, but. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I think, you know, the real storm is yet to come. Um, because I think that we're, as a species, we're very good at kind of coping when we're in the moment. And then it's later when we reflect on it and go, oh, shit, that was really bad. That yeah. <laughs> then, you know, the issues start to really kick in. So I think that that will happen further down the line. Um, and I guess my, this isn't just based on inclination. It's also that the Child and Adolescent uh, Mental Health Service, so CAMS, as, as people will know it, that's like the free service that's provided by the NHS. So if you go to your doctor and say, my child has anxiety, they refer you on to CAMS. The waiting list for CAMS in most areas of the country is at least three months. Um, in some areas, it's way, way more than that. Um And the service is really, really flooded. And the downside of having to wait that long is when you have a seven-year-old who is anxious, who then has to wait three months, six months, nine months for any treatment to begin, is what started out as quite a low-level problem starts to really manifest into something much more significant. And for us as a private service, you know, one of the benefits is, is that we can, Like we can turn stuff around really quick. We can probably see you next week. So that has meant that our workload has escalated, that our private practices are far busier than they ever were. But also that without using the word referral, we've got people going to cams now and saying, what do I do? Do I wait for you guys or do I go and see Gemma? And they say, just go and see Gemma like, see her in the meantime, until we can offer you something, maybe that gets the problem solved, you'll still be on the waiting list, Um, and so it's happening more and more that, you know, one of my practitioners is consulting for a neurologist at the moment, Um, you know, so we've got other sorts of opportunities that I think were probably not there for us 10 years ago, where, you know, not just the world was quite close to the idea of NLP, but it was quite close to the idea of mental health in general. Whereas maybe we've just sort of stood the test of time quite well. Maybe it's just that we're in more of a a dire straits is more of a sort of desperate situation happening where, you know, more traditional clinicians are kind of looking and going, okay, what are the alternatives? Like who are the alternative practitioners out there? Can they help? Is there something they can do?
0: Mm. it doesn't help funding being taken away from conventional routes either does it
1: no absolutely not no so one of the things that I've (sighs) quite hard on for the last three years we have a a not-for-profit company as well called Superheroes Um, and uh, through that I can apply for different grants and funding we do our own fundraising as well and it means then that when we do get inquiries for help where people can't afford the services of NLP for Kids we can, in some cases, have superheroes step in um, sure. and offer the sessions at a sort of subsidized rate, or um, in some cases, you know, without charge at all.
0: Excellent. Nice one. So um, that's kind of how you got to where you are now, yeah. so to speak. You've briefly touched upon this indirectly in that answer um, by mentioning that, you know, you kind of see that there's going to be issues that manifest once we're out the other side of this lockdown stuff, which let's not get into that. But I strongly suspect putting my um, truth researcher hat on. Some viewers and listeners will go, I mean conspiracy theorist? No, truth researcher, because it is a genuine fact that the World Bank's website, the World Bank that lends money to all the governments around the world, their own website, no conspiracy, uh, have pretty much labelled it the COVID project. And you can find it on their own site. And the funding is planned for governments around the world till early 2025 so this is even if even if we're all unlocked and allowed to get on with our lives before then they are already planning that it's having some kind of economic world effect till early 2025 otherwise it won't be on the world banks um, website and that will anything economic has a knock-on effect on everyday life and ultimately people and so i couldn't agree with you more yeah i suspect we've got a lot of knock-on effects to occur and that, that will obviously lead other areas open to you in the future. But what other things do you predict moving forward? What what, what are your sort of goals, dreams, ambitions, desires, places mm. you want to take stuff?
1: Well, that's quite a big question It so, is. <laughs> I um I think I might be on the verge of going down another rabbit hole. Um Ooh. Yeah, I, from the last lockdown, uh, so like almost a year ago, because it changed my working routine, as I'm sure it did for a lot of people, um, one of the things that I committed to was taking a little bit more time off. And with that extra time off, I've started to do some other sorts of study. Um, And one of the things that I've been studying for the last few months is neuropsychology. And partly I've gotten into that field because um, so my mum has a rare brain disease, which luckily was identified quite early on because I noticed that her behaviour was changing and said something's not right here. There's Something is going not straight in her mental state any longer. And I think it needs exploring. So actually, we ended up at a point where they couldn't really pin down the diagnosis cuz she wasn't ill enough yet and then um i had an idea of what it was and it wasn't until that you know they were able to see stuff in uh, brain imaging and, and that sort of stuff that they went, "Huh, actually you're right." So I kind of accidentally ended up learning a, a a decent amount about neurology and how changes in the brain can then affect the way in which people behave, how they feel um, and how they are uh, interacting and off the back of that it coincided with me having a few clients come to see me where i suspected that there was something neurological going on for them and whilst i you know i'm not in a position to diagnose anything obviously I have been able to then direct them to the right next step for seeking out the diagnosis that they need. And, um, so far I've been pretty on the money when that's happened. So I've had probably somewhere around five cases over the last couple of years. So not lots, but stuff that's quite extreme and severe. Um, one was someone that was, uh, having a a temporary psychotic episode um so it was quite severe one was um a lady more recently who I suspected had an early um onset dementia um which it turned out was also true um and so I want to kind of start not really bringing that into the work that I do But I think alongside it, let's say, because I I sort of feel like um, if I'm going to keep getting, as I've just mentioned, you know, more of the cams fall out, the young people that are not able to access those sorts of services yet. And if the mental health issues continue to grow in severity, as I think they will, Then I kind of feel like I need to be a bit better armed for noticing what might really be going on for someone and not just tackling it as if it's an anxiety related disorder when actually there might be something more serious going on. So I'm just looking to upscale my skill set Um, And my hope is that in time that that's something that the practitioners that are part of NLP for Kids can benefit from, too, whether that is additional training that we put in front of them. Um, I do. So every month I do like a, a live webinar with them where we go through a case study. And the one that I did in January was like their first wild card where it was actually more of a psychiatric disorder Um, But I didn't tell them that it was. And so I just kind of said, here's the case. This is what's presenting. And then they said, oh, well, we would do a swish pattern and we'd do some anchoring and blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of going through it. And then I got to the end and I said, do you notice with this client that they lie? And they said, yes. And I said, do you notice that they hurt animals? Yes. And then I went through this whole list going, do you notice they did this? Do you know? And I had about 11 points and I got to about the seventh one and somebody went, oh, my God, they're a psychopath.
0: Yeah,
1: there we go. So it's like I just want them to be able to. Again, it's not to diagnose, but it's so that we can more effectively direct people onto the right services if we're not the right service. Um, So I just want to make sure everyone's upskilled for what might be coming a little bit further down the line.
0: Excellent. And especially in the context of what you do, I mean, a lot of therapists, don't get me wrong, therapists who are dealing with adults or kids are going to encounter at some point people who who, yeah they they might be there saying they've got phobia anxiety panic attacks or whatever but underneath there's a shed load more going on that could be as you say more in the serious mental health or psychiatric area um but the majority of therapists probably warm because the job in bread and butter smoking cessation weight loss although if you were to dig deep a lot of people with weight management issues there are underlying mental health issues so i think it probably is something that the industry as a whole should yeah perhaps look at a bit deeper
1: yeah yeah um, i would agree yeah i think it's just about having an awareness, you know, what am I looking out for here? What am I seeing here? Is there anything that's kind of raising a few extra flags? Um, and, And then being able to, I think, you know, one of the other things that we see a lot in our field is we've got a lot of lone rangers out there working as therapists and practitioners who don't get things like supervision, who don't get things like, you know, just a touch base at the end of the day to say I had a really challenging client today, Um, who don't get that opportunity to just sort of talk through stuff Um, I think that's really important and that's I think probably one of the uh, the gems that's within NLP for kids is that it is a network of people like literally I switch our WhatsApp on silent sometimes because they do my head in. Um, But there is so much conversation amongst them around, I've got this, this has shown up. Um, Someone has said this to me today, a child responded like this, I've got this particular issue. And the fact that they're conversing with each other just gives us a lot more opportunity for someone to go, this might be a better way forward. Have you thought about safeguarding for this one, Um, you know, or whatever else it might be?
0: Mm -hmm slightly i mean with what you do it's essential obviously both well it'd be essential from a a marketing perceptual marketing point of view but it's also essential from a legal point of view to have dbs checks in place and and whatnot what would you say to therapists listening because they don't legally need to have a dps um which for Viewers and listeners, that's the English thing that used to be called uh, CCRBs, Criminal Records Bureau Check. It's a a certificate to basically say you're not a paedophile in the context of what we're talking. You're not an axe murderer or or whatever, just in case you don't have such a thing in your country or it's called something different. Um, They don't legally need to to be a lay therapist. And yes, whilst it would be wise if they're going to do anything to help kids to obviously have parental consent. And at the very least have a parent or guardian present who is probably set outside the door, but with the door open at an angle. So it, it, it's, the child's got some privacy and freedom to feel they can work with the therapist without the parent knowing, but by the same token, the child is safe. Yeah. Um, personally, I always tell my students that if they're going to do anything with kids, it, for, for the sake of what it costs, get a DBS even if it's only from the perceptional marketing point of view what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah definitely I'd say if nothing else it gives you more credibility you know it lets the world know that you you're actually taking your business seriously um and that you uh you know you care about your reputation the one thing I would say with DBS checks, I know some people, um, you know, even people that I've met through NLP for kids, some people have been um, anxious about having a DBS because maybe they have got something on their record from where they stole a bag of sweets from Woolworths in 1985 or whatever. Um, so, you know, when a DBS is done, if there are any convictions that are on there, you can have that then, um uh almost like um risk assessed so that someone can look at it independently to see well does this person still pose a risk is this crime spent um and then you know they write like a short report like a risk assessment to say This person doesn't pose any hazards to the general public or to children or, you know, anything like that anymore. Um, So I would say even if you've got something which is old, historic, that maybe you're a bit embarrassed about, you know, you don't necessarily need to put a copy of this thing on your website. I would recommend that you don't anyway. Um, but it's really just so that it's there if somebody wants to um, ask about it then you've got proof that it's done already and I think if nothing else it just makes you seem like a more credible viable person who takes your industry and your business seriously so I'd always recommend it
0: well obviously if you uh, you do uh, but if people watching or listening were thinking of perhaps uh, I know, like, for example, Sheila Granger, she came up with a thing for exam nerves and stress yeah. in the Yorkshire area and went in. And uh, schools, in my experience, although there's no legal obligation as such, or law saying you've got to have a DBS for the schools to let you in if there's are going to be teachers present and you're not left on your own, I found in my experience that most of them ain't letting you through the door unless you've got your DBS.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think um, for us, it's really, really rare, even for parents to sort of ask to see a copy of the DBS, um, three of myself or the practitioner, or maybe had like one or two and they were GPs. So, you know, they were just a little bit more savvy, I guess, with that kind of thing. Um, There is certainly going to be some environments where you are more likely to get checked than others. Um, I'm going to be talking for... um, An organisation is completely online. Um, They're doing like a bit of a conference for children um, during the lockdown. Um, And they've asked to see a copy of my DBS. If I didn't have one already, then actually I might be waiting three or four weeks for that thing to arrive in the post. And I'd probably miss out on that gig. So there are definitely times where, you know, having it just helps. I would recommend it
0: um just as a side note for viewers or listeners to be helpful uh if you're in england if you if you're not in england dbs is kind of irrelevant you'll have your own version and do the research but there'll be some sort of similar thing um but in england if you google search a company called acorn direct they are based in the northwest of england they are a, a third-party company who can get you dbs for your big your enhanced dbs because you can't do it yourself as such um but this independent company can that's how i got mine anyway excellent um crikey we're getting close to the nearly 50 minutes past we have only got about 10 minutes left time just disappears we might overrun a couple of minutes as i was checking out some of your background and getting me bullet points you either got a doppelganger or you have a youtube channel that isn't nlp for kids it's Gemma Bailey, yes. and it there's at first sight it's makeup tips and stuff, and then then when I look more at the about it's to do with I'm gonna say this wrong if I do I apologise and correct me melasma M E L A S M A yeah. Uh, basically, dark, discolored skin patches and how to deal with it. Can you explain a bit about this, your YouTube ch- ch- channel, what it's about? Um, yeah, because.
1: Yeah, I've actually got oh. three channels. So oh, got, right, okay. Yeah, I've got a channel for NLP for kids. I've got a channel for people building uh-huh. uh, through which I, I publish the people building podcast. And then I've got my channel, which is just like, that's like my down downtime channel if you know what I mean that's like the one that I go to when I'm sick of psychology yeah. sick of LP sick of clients um yeah and I uh, it's like one of my hobbies is um if you can see the room that I'm in at the moment there's like makeup palettes there's wigs I like doing a bit of photoshop stuff as well so I like sort of creating stuff basically um and I have a skin condition called melasma um which is something it's quite rare it mainly occurs in women, and it's where you get patches of skin that hyperreact to sunlight. Um, And so for me, what happens is I end up with what looks like a map of Africa, like down the side of my face. Um, And when it first occurred, and I didn't know how to get rid of it or manage it I had to use makeup artistry to cover it up so that it blended in with the rest of my face Um, and like I tend to do with all other sorts of aspects of my life I basically documented my journey of how I um, overcame it worked around it um, and have kind of protected myself from it since and then ended up with a bit of a following of other people all over the world who suffer with the same kind of skin condition who have then reached out to sort of ask advice and, um, you know, get some tips on products and bits and pieces like that. Um, And then off the back of that, I ended up getting some sponsorship and people were sending me products and like, try this, try that. Um, So yeah, probably the year before last, I guess, was maybe when I was like, super proactive with it. Um, Then last year, uh, I got super proactive with finishing my house decorating, which I've just done in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I hope to get back to doing I actually did a video for that channel yesterday, and I think the first thing that I said in the intro was, like, I've just done so much filling my brain with, like, new psychology stuff. I just need to sit here and put on some eye makeup and just do something which is just not in any way academic or intellectual. <laughs>
0: And yeah, ironically, I would argue that a lot, an offshoot, a yeah. repercussion of doing those things, aside from dealing with uh, and managing the, the, the skin condition, is a positive knock-on potentially on people's mental health.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's, um, I think it's, I'll say young ladies, because it's mainly ladies that suffer with this condition. It's on your face. And so you can really feel like the world is judging you. Um, and, you know, people don't realise what it is. So they'll make quite insensitive comments at times. And so it really does affect people's confidence levels, Um and, and I guess like anything with your appearance, you know, if somebody's carrying extra weight that they don't want, it has an impact on their confidence and their self-esteem. So I'd say this does something, uh, you know, fairly similar to that. So, yeah, I guess in some ways, you know, helping people to manage it or even to completely overcome it in some cases uh, does, you know, sort of for them feels it feels life changing.
0: Excellent oh we've only got about eight minutes so i'm going to just quickly look at my bullet point list you already answered that we've covered that okay other than the obvious that um i'm actually going to ask you if you can after we finish just a very save me searching for hours uh i found you. Gemma Bailey YouTube channel if you just send me the links to the other two because then I can put them again along with your websites below the video and below the audio podcast so people can check you out find your books, see the videos find out more and then reach out to you and stuff um in general in a more generalized hypnotherapist that encompasses adults as well but you know it's a big field what would your Let's say top three bits of advice that jump into your head for anyone starting out be in terms of building a business in this industry, whether that be advice related to actual therapy yeah. or it be advice in terms of building it, doesn't matter, just okay. whatever jumps to your mind. All
1: right. So, one of the first things that I, um, have to sometimes push our new practitioners to do, which I think is super important, is not to overthink it and just get out there and do it. There's a lot of people who come out of training and go, I just wanna like go back through all of my notes before I get started, or I wanna watch all the DVDs before I get started. And it's like, if if you constantly have a, I'll just do X before I get started, you will never get started. Mm -hmm. So I think you will never feel fully prepared. (laughs) And sometimes you just have to kind of bite the bullet and crack on with it anyway. Um, The other thing I would say is do prepare as much as you can. So, Um, I remember, you know, my sort of early days going through all those teething pains around just silly stuff. Like I take notes when I first meet a a new client and, you know, just to get a bit of a case history down, just like make sure you've got two pens because one day one of them is going to run out of ink. And you don't want to be a situation where you haven't got another biro knocking about, um, you know, make sure you need to have like a bit of a checklist for yourself. So like switch your mobile phone off Um, make sure you've got two pens and not just one. Make sure you've like when I first worked out of somebody else's office and not my own, I forgot to take something to lean on. So I had like my paper, like my consent forms and consultation forms and nothing to lean on you know, silly stuff like that. So just kind of almost rehearse it so that you kind of get all your practical stuff lined up for when you get started. And then I guess the third thing would be keep marketing, because otherwise you'll have these peaks and troughs in your business where you market like mad, get a ton of clients, and then you stop marketing because you're too busy with the clients or you think I've made it and you just like don't bother doing the marketing anymore. And then suddenly the work dries up because you did a good job and they don't need to come and see you anymore. And then you've got to restart the marketing machine and it might take three months for you to see the return on that effort that you put in. So you've got to keep that marketing machine like constantly whirring in the background and not make it an on off, on off process because otherwise you will never have consistency in your business.
0: Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Gemma, for uh, sharing your time and your insights and uh, experiences and knowledge with us. Uh, everyone watching or listening, look below the video or the speaker symbol on your podcast channel. You will find Gemma's websites, YouTube channels, social media channels, and stuff. Go and check them out. Go and get a box off Amazon. Uh, go and look at the videos. Dip your toe and then reach out to her if helping kids all um, or, or the other areas she's talked about are something you'd like to look into more than the answers right in front of you. Thank you so much, Gemma. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And, um, and normally, I'll, you know, before the lockdown, it would have been, join me next week for another edition. As it is, keep checking the uh, channel because we're putting things up every couple of days at the minute, it helps keep my sanity during this lockdown as well. Thank you very much. Take care, Gemma.
1: Thank you. Bye.